There we go. Okay. Took a while to come on. Good evening. Um, I just want to begin by saying what a pleasure it is to be here tonight. I've been looking forward to this for uh, literally years, I guess now, because we tried to do this last year and then a little thing called COVID came up and I didn't get to come. And so I'm really uh, sorry for you, but happy for me that you asked me to come back this, uh, this year. And I hope that, um, that we are edified and that we enjoy our time together. I, I want you to know how much I appreciate uh, the confidence that you've placed in me, and I hope it's not misplaced in some way. I hope I don't betray it. I hope we have a good time and good set of studies as we go through our, our, our sermons and our worship service this week. Um, I also want to say as we start that, you know, I, I'd love to uh, answer questions or about any of the things that I say, be corrected about any of the things that I say. If you want to discuss any of the things we talk about, uh, don't hesitate. I'm an, I'm an open book and would love to talk to each and every one of you. Anybody's got a gripe or a concern or something about a comment about the lesson or anything else, I'd love to talk to you about it uh, as we go through these series of sermons. So I was joking in the back that, you know, I'm starting off with a really uplifting topic. You can tell by the, by the title, Knowing the Terror of the Lord. Uh, but this, I'm starting with this because I just think this is such an important topic. I, I really do. And, and I, I, we'll talk more about that as we go through uh, the sermon tonight. But I really believe this is, a, this is a concept that I know most of you, if not all of you here, have. But I think sometimes we have it, but we don't really have it. And so tonight, I want to talk about really understanding what this concept means and what it should mean to us in our Christian lives. We're going to start, if I can make sure I'm doing it right, maybe I'm, there we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 through 11, where this phrase comes in that verse, and, I, and by the way, my, my protocol on these things, I don't have fancy slides. I, I'm, a, I'm a simple PowerPoint guy, so there won't be many pictures or any. Uh, and I don't put up all my, all my uh, verses. So I'll be turning with you so you'll have time. The important ones are the ones that are more, they're all important, but the ones that are more significant I put up and I write up, but, I, but the rest will be references, so you'll have to turn with me. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 through 11, the Apostle Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Here the Apostle Paul is talking about, you know, kind of why he does what he does. Why, what motivates him in this work? He says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade man. What he's saying is the reason we spend so much time preaching the gospel, the reason I spend so much time putting my life in danger, the reason we have, are doing all of this, what motivates us at some level is the terror of the Lord. Now, when the world and maybe a lot of us and maybe all of us think of God, we tend to think of different thoughts, don't we? We think of God in, in, a, in, a, in a very loving way, and that is certainly accurate. God is a very, very loving God, and that's certainly part of his essence. But especially in the world today, we don't like to talk about this side of God, and we need to because it's a real part of who God is. God is a loving God, but God is also a God that can inspire and lead to terror in some ways, and we'll talk more about what that means. Now, sometimes when we look at verses 
especially when we're looking at the King James Version. You know, that was translated many hundreds of years ago, and so they're using English back then. Sometimes we wonder whether, you know, a word really is what it means. You know, in, in the New Testament, there's the word conversation. It doesn't mean you and I talking. It means a lifestyle or the way that we live our life, and so that's a different word that has a different meaning. Well, I, want, I thought we'd start this evening by just pointing out that when we talk about terror, he really means terror. The Greek word there is the word phobos. Now, I'm gonna talk about some Greek words tonight, maybe through the rest of some of the sermons. I'm not a Greek scholar, so y'all can laugh at me later if I mispronounce them. I'm sure some of you know exactly how to pronounce some of these things, but I'm gonna give you my Baytown pronunciation of some of these words. So the Greek word there is phobos, and that word means alarm or fright. It means to be afraid. It means to have exceeding fear or terror, and, it, and it's the word that our word phobia comes from whenever we talk about phobias. Uh, Jeff's here. His brother, Justin, is, uh, has a severe fear of heights. Uh, I think they call that acrophobia. And so we used to always kid Justin. We'd get him somewhere high and make him you know, try to vomit or something like that because he didn't want to be anywhere near it. Well, that's because he's scared. That's what the word phobia means. It, it means to produce these kinds of things. And so whenever he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, there is an aspect of God. There is a portion of who God is that produces alarm. It produces fright. It produces something that is fearful. It produces something that can be terrible or terrorizing. That's what it means whenever it says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Now, it does that in a very specific way, and we're gonna talk about that way tonight in the way that he means this when he talks about the terror of the Lord, especially in the context of the verses that he's talking about. But we need to understand this concept because whenever we view God in a one-sided way and it's all you know, rainbows and unicorns, so to speak, you know, it's, it's God, the great gift giver, right? Without the terrible side, we've missed the essence of God. And that will lead to some very, very serious consequences for our spiritual development. If we don't understand this aspect of God, I don't mean to scare everybody tonight. Our God is a loving God. We're gonna talk about a lot of happy things as we go through this week. But this is a topic that we need to be sober about. And it's a topic that can be uplifting. And I'll try and do that before we're done tonight, believe it or not. Uh, we're gonna have a sermon that will try to end, end on a happy note with the word terror in the title, but we're gonna try and do that. All right, so as we look at back at the verses that we talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter five, he begins this series of scripture by saying, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the context that he's talking about. He says, look, we are all going to be judged. We're all gonna be before the judgment seat of Christ so that everybody can receive the things done in their body according to what they've done, whether it's good or bad. And then he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade man. There is obviously something about the concept of judgment, about the notion of you and I being called someday to stand before God that is terrible, that should be fear-producing, and it should be motivating, and it should motivate us to do things differently and to spread God's gospel in a different way, which is exactly what Paul is saying. The reason we are, are preaching the gospel and begging people to become Christians is because of the terror of the Lord. And so if you and I are going to be effective in the work of God, we've got to get this concept down, which is why I thought it would be good for us to maybe spend some time talking about it tonight. So I want to talk a little bit about the judgment because he's, he clearly is centering this on the judgment. I want to talk about some things that we know about the judgment. And this is where it gets to the part where I think we understand the concept of judgment and we understand the terror of the Lord. But I wonder sometimes if we really internalize and really understand 
what that means. You know, before I had a kid, I, I, I knew kind of, because I'd watch my parents. I thought I knew what it was like to be a parent. But until you're a parent, those of you are parents, you know, until you're a parent, you don't know what it's like to be a parent. Well, I think judgment is a little bit like that sometimes. We read it and we go, yeah, there's gonna be a judgment. Great judgment day. We got it. We understand. And sometimes we don't internalize what that really means. So I'm gonna spend a little time tonight talking about what this really means. You know, the first thing about the judgment is that it's mandatory. Paul says in these scriptures, we must all appear. It's mandatory. Over in Hebrews chapter nine and in verse number 27, Hebrews chapter nine and in verse number 27, there the writer says, and it is appointed a man once to die, but after this, the judgment. You know, there is something that is fear-inspiring about things that are mandatory. Have you ever had something that was mandatory? You know, whenever you've got to do something, especially if it's something hard or if it's something that could go wrong, it could be fear-producing. It's a lot easier to be easy and laissez-faire about something if it's something you can put off or if it's optional. You know, uh, the COVID hit, and so my oldest daughter's in college, and so they had things that sometimes were optional because of the particular circumstances of COVID and getting everybody together. Well, it wasn't any stress if she did well. That was great. If she didn't do well, it was okay. It was optional. And so not as much fear. But when things are mandatory, it is fearful. And so some, one of the things we have to understand is sometimes I think we read, or at least maybe you're not like me, maybe I'm the only one who's weird here, but sometimes I read the Bible and I read the judgment and I get to thinking and reading it like it's happening to somebody else. Like, yes, that's a judgment. Look at these people going through the judgment and not really internalizing that there really is going to be a day where you are going to stand before God, where it's really gonna happen. We're gonna be standing before the judgment seat of God. It's not a fiction novel. It's not something that you know, will happen sometime, but it never really occurs. There is really going to be a day where we stand before God. And I just think understanding that at the first is kind of really important, that we really understand this is not something that we're just talking about or that we read about. It's really going to happen. And not only is the judgment mandatory, but it's also personal. The Bible says, or uh, Paul says in the scripture, that we're going to all receive the things done in his body. And so it is something that is very, very personal to us. Over in Romans chapter 14 and in verse number 11. Romans chapter 14 and in verse number 11, the, the apostle Paul writing there says this, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You know, there's something about it being personal to you that it produces fear, too. Whenever I was in law school, um, we, had we had class, and every class, the professor would call on people to answer questions, and you had to stand up and, and give your answer. It was very intimidating. You know, oftentimes, the professor would, would pick on a certain area of class. So maybe we have an auditorium like this, and he'd be over here talking to some of you over here. And maybe I was sitting over there. You know what I wasn't that day? Terrified. Why? Because I didn't care if this guy missed it. We'd all laugh or have a good laugh or something, but I wasn't responsible for it. It wasn't personal to me. It was difficult for him, but it wasn't anything for me because it wasn't personal. The judgment is going to be personal to you. You know, whenever you can't blame somebody else, then things get a little bit more real. And on the judgment day, we won't be able to blame anybody else. The, con, the, 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 the basis for judgment will be on things that you did, not your spouse, not your kids, not your mom and dad, not your grandparents, but things that you did. And I think that is something that ought to have us understand something about the judgment. 
But the judgment will also be revealing. The Bible there says we will appear, and the word there, and this is another Baytown pronunciation, is phaneru, and I'm sure that's wrong, but phaneru, and it means to make manifest or visible or known what has been hidden or unknown, to expose it to view. You know, over in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and in verse number 14, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and in verse number 14, the writer there says this, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And over in Romans chapter two and in verse number 16, Romans chapter two and in verse number 16, the Bible there says, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. To me, this may be the most terrifying aspect of the judgment. Whenever we think about every secret thing, this is one of those things that I, I know we all nod and go, yeah, we get it. He's gonna judge everything. But I want you to just take a moment. Think about, what that means in your personal life, because it's personal, whenever God says every secret thing. That's, that should be terrifying. Now, as we'll talk about, it's only terrifying if you're not in God, if you're not in Christ, because there are certain benefits that come with being a Christian, which is why Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's the happy part we'll get to in a minute. But if we're outside of Christ, and we really do have to answer for everything that we've done in our body, Every secret thing, every thought, every word, every action, uh, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying if we believe that God is who he is. And so when we talk about the judgment, it is something that will be very, very revealing and will let all of our things that we thought we hid or got away with, all of that will be before God if we are not in Christ. And what a terrible, terrible thing that would be. And it's also binary. And by, what I mean by that is there's only two options. Over in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 25 and in verse number 46, Matthew chapter 25 and in verse number 46, the Bible says, and these, talking at the end when he talks about, this is the story where uh, Jesus said, you know, I was in prison and you visited me, I was sick and you didn't feed me. He says, and these, the ones that didn't do what and didn't minister unto him, these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Those are the two options. Judgment is binary. There are two places for us to end up and there are no other places. It's either eternal joy and happiness with God in heaven or eternal misery and torment in hell. Those are the only two options. You know, whenever you've got a lot of options, the way things can turn out, it kind of reduces the stress level, doesn't it? I mean, you know, for those of you in school, you want to get an A. I hope all of you are trying to get A's if you're in school. But you know what? If you don't get an A, you can get a B. And I, I may get you in trouble with your parents. B's good grade. You know, that's still, it's still a good grade, right? Or you can get a C or you can get a D or you can get an F. That's bad. Very bad. So don't get Fs. But the point is, there's a lot of different options. And there's even pluses and minuses. So you can get an A plus, you can get an A, you can get an A minus, you can get a B plus, a B, a B minus, and all kinds of things. And so there's a lot of different options that kind of reduces the stress level a little bit. Whenever you just have only a million things you can do here, it's on or off. It's life or death. It's eternal joy or eternal damnation. There are only two options. And so that's it for us on the day of judgment. There's not gonna be a, you know, a kind of a, well, you almost did good. You almost lived a good enough life. So we'll put you into a kind of a middle tier. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches two places, heaven and hell. And so it's binary. And so when we think about the judgment, we look at what 
the, the, the writer Paul says when he talks about this, he says, we're all going to appear. We're going to receive things done in our body. We're going to appear, which means we're going to be revealed. And we're going to do that. Uh, and, and we're going to go to judgment, whether it be good or whether it be bad, whenever, ju- whenever God judges us. And so the judgment has certain characteristics, mandatory, personal, revealing, and binary. And those things ought to cause us to think about what judgment is really like and what that means whenever we stand before God. Now, as I said, the judgment produces, because of all these characteristics, it should produce this terror. And I want you to notice the imagery that's used. Now, in the book of Revelation, in, verse, in chapter number six, this is a different discussion and a different series of lessons, uh, but I asked Carrie, he didn't want me to give these. Uh, but uh, in the book of Revelation, I, I, I believe that that refers to the judgment of Rome. We can talk more about that if you've got questions. So I'm not necessarily saying that this verse refers to the judgment, capital T, that we're talking about here, but it is denouncing a judgment of God. And I want you to listen to the imagery that's listed here in verses 14 through 17. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest, and he said, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made... Oh, I'm on verse chapter seven. It'd be helpful if I get in the right chapter. Let's go to four, chapter six. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty man and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountain and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? Can you, can you imagine that? There was something that was so terrible about the judgment of God that he analogizes it to this situation where men are crawling into rocks and praying for mountains to fall on them so they can be hidden from the wrath of God. The judgment, if you're on the wrong side of it, is a terrible thing. And if we're not right with God, it should terrify us. And if you're in Christ and know people that are outside of Christ, that terror should motivate us to talk to them and to plead with them to come to Christ and to have their sins forgiven, to have their sins washed so they don't have to stand in this terrible day fearful of what will happen. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 26, a set of verses that we read a lot. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 26. The Bible says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy unto two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be he thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified where an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that saith, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Have you ever been scared before when somebody was about to take vengeance? I, I tend to be a prankster. And so every once in a while, my youngest daughter, Brooke, I will scare her because I think that's funny. Brooke does not think that's funny. And so whenever I scare Brooke, Brooke tells me that she's going to get back at me. Brooke is good at getting back at people. And so I am scared of Brooke whenever she announces her vengeance upon me. Now, Brooke, at the end of the day, is probably going to scare me at some inopportune time or do something else to me to get back at me. It's, it's nothing like this. You may have been scared of vengeance before. Brooke's a, an 18-year-old girl. She just graduated from 
from high school. I don't mean to denigrate women. She's an 18-year-old human. There's only so many things an 18-year-old human can do. God created this world. He spoke it into existence. And so whenever the creator of this world says, vengeance belongs to me, and when the Bible says it is a terrible thing to fall into his hands, we better listen. Because I will tell you, it is something that none of us want to experience. It is truly a terrifying thing. I've never, you know, as bad as Brooke is, I've never crawled to a rock and say, follow me, Brooke's gonna scare me someday. I've never felt like that. I've never felt like that about anything. But apparently there's something about the judgment of God that is truly terrifying. And we need to understand that as we think about how we do our, do, go through our lives. Now, I want you to listen to some things the Bible says about the judgment of the wicked. In the 11th Psalm and in the 6th verse, the 11th Psalm and in the 6th verse, there it says this. It says, Upon the wicked shall rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. That is a terrible, terrible thing. Raining fire and brimstone and snares and a horrible tempest. And that's the judgment of the wicked. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and in verse number 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and in verse number 2, there the apostle Paul says this, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. You know, whenever I was a kid, we lived during the Cold War. Many of you lived during the Cold War whenever you were a kid. And I remember being scared because I was scared that at any moment something could happen. The Russians were gonna bomb us or something like that. And I used to think about, you know, well, what would happen if it happened right now? Okay, we'd be incinerated. But what happens with God is something far different. It is a torment that does not end. If the Russians dropped a bomb on us right now or anybody else, we would barely know it until we got to heaven, to the judgment. But then that decision would be eternal. And we would never get out of that decision, whichever way it goes. And so we need to understand something about the judgment that, is, that makes it so terrible is its suddenness, its unexpectedness, and its severity. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven and his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Everlasting destruction. You know, um, I've gotten out of it a little bit, but I've, I've gone through some of my 30s. I had migraines really bad. And some of you may have suffered from migraines. And if you do, bless you, I know how terrible that is. I got off easy. My migraines would last about three or four hours. I don't know if you've ever had a migraine, but they're debilitating if you have them bad. And I used to turn off the lights and didn't want any sound, didn't want. And I used to think, man, there's nothing worse than this. It's a migraine. It's over in three hours. The judgment of the Lord is something far worse, and it never ends. And that's another one of those topics that we talk about, but we never really internalize, everlasting, eternal, and what that really means. But I don't know if you remember the biggest misery you've ever been in and how terrible that was, but we're talking about something that whenever you've lived a trillion years in that, it hasn't started. Can you imagine that? A trillion years. Can you even get your mind around a trillion years? And whenever we get to a trillion years, it has not started still hasn't started. 
We can go trillions of years in that misery and it's never gonna start because it's never gonna end. It just goes on. Folks, the, st the stakes could not be higher when we talk about the judgment. When we think about what is going to happen to us at the end of our lives, it's more than just a story. It's more than just a concept. This is real. And it has eternal, capital E, eternal consequences for us, which is why we've got to be so serious and so open-minded today. Now, why is it that hell is so terrible? What makes hell so terrible? Well, there are some things about it. One of the first and I guess most terrifying things about hell is that God's not there. In Matthew chapter 25 and in verse number 41, Matthew chapter 25 and in verse number 41, the Bible says this, then shall he say unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's who's there is the devil and his angels, not God. You know, whenever I was a kid, I used to think, well, you know, people would say this and I'd think, okay, well, you know, I want to be around God, but what, what is so bad about God not being there? Well, think about it. There's nothing good in that place because God is goodness. There is not one good thing, not one. You talk to a prisoner who's in solitary confinement, he gets a little food. There's a bed maybe they can sleep on. Maybe there's some heat in the building. There's nothing good in hell, nothing, not one thing. It's just all evil. We've never experienced anything like that. We can't even get our minds around that because we live in a world where God has so evidently blessed us. We have air to breathe, food to eat. We have shelter, we have clothing. Even those of us who have, are not in the body of Christ have all those things and maybe much more. And in hell, it's only Satan and his angels. That's it. And there's nothing else that's good. There's not one good thing, not one speck of light in that entire place. And when you start to think about how much your life is blessed by God, no matter your life, lot in life, and all of those blessings going away and only being left with Satan and his angels, it is a terrifying place. Another thing about hell is that it's actually a place reserved for torment. It, it, this is not just a concept that we talk about, but we will really be tormented in hell. And, I, and again, I'm sorry to be so negative right now. We'll get better in a minute. But that's just the reality, and we need to be sober about this. In Matthew chapter 13 and in verse number 49, Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 49, it says there, and so shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. I don't know how many of you have ever been burned. I've burned my hand on a stove maybe on a few other things, I've never really been burned. Maybe some of you have, and I know it's a terrible thing. I know people who have been burned. I'm a lawyer, I've handled some burn cases where I've had to watch their treatment and things like that. It's awful, it's just horrible. And that's gonna continue forever, just forever. There's a lake of fire in Revelations chapter 20 and verse number 14. Again, with the caveats about Revelation that I talked about earlier, but I think this verse is applicable. Revelation 20, verse number 14, it says, and death and hell were cast to the lake of fire. This is the second death. And it's also forever. We'll read over in Mark 3 and 29. We've read already that it's everlasting, but over in Mark chapter three and in verse number 29, the Bible there says, but he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Now there it's just talked about they're going to be lost. The eternal damnation just isn't reserved for blasphemers. It means that a blasphemer is in danger of eternal judgment. The judgment is eternal. We will never get away from it and it will never stop, which is why hell's so terrible. 
And it's why we have to be so sober-minded about this. Now, as I said, that's why I was kind of joking a little bit about this in the back in terms of starting off. This is not a subject to joke about, but the, the choice of the subject I was kind of joking about a little bit. And the reason is because this is just not a very popular message. I get it. I mean, some of you are probably sitting in your pew right now going, this is not really the uplifting sermon that I thought I was gonna hear in our gospel meeting. Can we get rid of this guy? And yes, you can, and I'll be happy to leave tomorrow and you can get somebody better. But, um, the, but the point is, this is a message that needs to be told because it's not a popular message. You can go into dozens and dozens and dozens of churches. They will not mention this concept at all, at all. They don't wanna talk about this because that's depressing and that's negative. And we're not gonna be depressing and negative in church. We don't care if it is an attribute of God. Isn't that amazing? And so that's why we have to be able to carry this message. The apostle Paul thought it was so important that it motivated his entire work. It was the entire reason Paul was doing what he was doing. And yet we don't wanna talk about it today in our churches. In Jeremiah chapter five and in verse number 30, Jeremiah chapter five and in verse number 30, it says there, a wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests bear rule by their means and my people love to have it so and what will you do in the end thereof? That's what's happening today. If you go into literally the majority of churches and I don't wanna to be too literal there, but I believe I'm not far off. If you go into the majority of churches today, you're gonna to find that this is a topic that is not preached at all or very little and it's because it's negative and we don't wanna be negative in today's churches. And folks, whenever we do that, we cheapen the Bible. We cheapen God. We shortcut who God really is. We are not being truthful with people about who God is. And we're not being truthful with people about what's going to happen if they don't come to Christ. This is not, refusing Christ is not refusing a birthday party set of gifts, which is what it's sometimes presented as. Look at all these great things you'll have if, God, if you join the church and you become a, a Christian. God will give you all these things. Yes, he will, but there's something else. And it's the reason we ought to be so motivated. It's not just that we're gonna get a bunch of gifts. We certainly are, but we're also going to avoid eternal damnation. And folks, that has to be part of the story. It is leaving out a huge, huge part of why the gospel is what it is if we are not going to be honest with people about what is going to happen at the end of time and are able to accurately communicate to them the danger that they are in. But the church doesn't want to talk about it, or at least the religious world today doesn't want to talk about it. In Jeremiah chapter 6 and in verse number 14, the Bible there says, they have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And that's also what's going on. God's great, God's love. Yes, he is. I don't mean to cheapen that or, or denigrate it at all. It is, but whenever we don't tell this part of the story, we are telling people, peace, peace, when there is no safety where they are at. And, and that is dangerous. In Ezekiel chapter three, you'll remember this, the watchman, and I want to turn over there and just read part of Ezekiel chapter 3 this, this evening with you. Ezekiel chapter 3 and in verse number 17. You'll remember Ezekiel there is prophesying and he's talking about the watchman. And he says there, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked and, be turned, and he turn not from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. 
Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, and he shall die, because thou hast given, not given him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned. Also thou hast delivered thy soul." Folks, the, 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 the stakes here are not just for those outside of the body of Christ, which is why I read this. It's us too. If we profess to be Christians and we go to the world and we don't tell this part of the story, if we don't warn people what's going to happen if they don't accept Christ, we're like that watchman. I mean, this isn't joining an Elks Club or the PTA. There's, membership has its privileges. Yes, it does. Membership in the church has its privileges. But what motivates us in many ways is also the terror of the Lord. The reality of being judged for the sins that we have committed. The terribleness of getting our just reward at the end of time and what that really means. We need to understand that. And we need to be able to accurately communicate that to folks in this world. You know, the reason that this can be a uplifting topic is when we think about hell, it tells us some things. One of the things that this terrible notion of hell tells us is how much God hates sin. If you want to have motivation in your life to live a righteous life, if you want to understand why God does what he does with those that are sinful, the picture of hell tells you what God thinks about sin. When he says he hates it, Folks, he hates it. He hates it. And he will punish it. And that's why it's a terrible thing. But you know, the other thing about hell is hell tells you how destructive sin can be. It tells you where, where the end reward for, for sin is. And that can be motivating. But it also gives us something else. It tells you why Jesus came and died for you. You know, sometimes you can tell how important something is by what somebody does to obtain it. Have you ever bought something really expensive? Why'd you do that? You bought it because it was worth that. You paid what you paid for it because it was worth it, unless you're just a really bad business person. I've done that too. But I've also paid things for a lot of, I've also paid a lot of things for things that were worth a lot. We were talking earlier today, maybe it was in the back or somewhere else, I can't remember, but I was, uh, I think Carrie's here, Carrie's here. I was telling them that I was talking with Mike and Carrie, and I think I was talking to Mike, Carrie, about this on, on Monday night. Mike was holding a meeting in College Park, and I was talking to him, and I was recounting how whenever I met Christy, she's not here tonight, but she will, Lord willing, be here tomorrow, and I know most of you know her, but those of you who don't, I think you'll enjoy meeting her a lot more than you're gonna enjoy meeting me. But um, Christy will be here tomorrow, but whenever I met Christy, I was in law school in Austin, and Christy was teaching school in McKinney, Texas, where Mike and Carrie lived, live and lived. And so, I don't know, Carrie, what, every, virtually every week, <laughs> I would on Friday night get in my little car and drive from Austin all the way to Dallas. And I would go room with Mike and Carrie and I'd spend the weekend so I could see Christy. And then whenever Sunday night was over, I would drive all the way back to Austin, sometimes making it back late at night because maybe we'd go watch a movie after church. And I would get back to Austin just in time for my eight o'clock class the next morning. Uh, in law school. Why would I do that? That seems pretty silly. Why was I killing myself? It was worth it. It was Christy. I, I loved Christy. And so it was worth it for me to drive and do that because that's how I felt about her. And so I was willing to do it because of the exchange. Now, why did Jesus come to die on the cross? Why would God 
Send his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us because it's worth it. And the reason it's worth it is because he knows what happens if our lives are not covered by the blood of Christ. When you look at the cross and and you think about our Savior hanging on the cross in agony, and you think about him sitting there in that pitiful sight, and, and maybe you're moved emotionally. I hope you're moved emotionally by thinking about that. Folks, all the emotions that you feel are how bad hell is because it's the mirror image. The reason Jesus did that is because hell's really that bad. And he really wants us to save us. He really wants to save us from it. And that should be uplifting to us. Your Savior, your Savior loved you so much that he was willing to die to save you from that place. And so all these terrible things that we've talked about that will befall those who are outside of the body of Christ on the day of judgment, they won't happen to us if we are with Christ. It tells you how awful the crucifixion of Christ was. All that pain, all that agony, him being forsaken by God, all of those things were because he loved us. And it tells you how wonderful, how truly amazing and miraculous God's love, his mercy, and his pardon are to us. We'll talk more about that in some of our later sermons. But if you wanna know about how much God loves you, if Christy wants to know how much I loved her, she should go pay attention to how many miles I put on that old Mustang driving from Austin to Dallas. Now, that's pretty, pretty cheap, right? What God did, not even worthy to be compared. And that's because of how serious this topic is. And so we should be uplifted. And it tells you how good the good news is. And, and, and you know, I, I don't know um, how else to say it, but folks, whenever you're in danger and all of a sudden you realize you're not in danger, that's a pretty good day. It's not, again, not to be compared, but I remember one time I was, I was going with Brooke and Bren and we were at the rodeo in Houston and they wanted to go to the Midway. And so I told them I'd go and they dared me to get on a ride. And because I was stupid, I got on the ride, not knowing what it was gonna do. They said, dad, this is gonna be fun, do it. So I did it, they stayed on the ground. And it was this contraption that, you know, this was built by people who were driving, you know, from one parking lot to another and setting this thing up in five minutes. And so it's this contraption that you get in and you are belted in with one canvas belt. And it took me, I don't know, probably a hundred feet up in the air and turned me upside down. And the only thing holding me in that thing was that canvas belt. And it looked frayed and old and everything else. I was terrified. I had phobia that day. Carnival phobia, I think is what it's called. But anyway, so I was, I was terrified. You know what felt really good? When that thing got back to the ground. Boy, I felt good. Not to be compared. Folks, if we're outside of the body of Christ, you're in so much danger, I, I just can't even compare it. I can't, I can't accurately, I've tried. I've tried to communicate it tonight, but, but I can't. I can't really tell you how bad it is. I hope you get some picture. Folks, you're in danger. You are in danger. And so what that should do is motivate you to think about that, and it should motivate us to tell that story. It is an essential part of preaching the gospel. In Acts chapter 24 and verse number 24, Acts chapter 24 and in verse number 24, here, we have the story of uh, Paul talking to Felix. 
And it says, there are certain days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul, hurting him concerning the faith, in, the faith in Christ. And he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Go thy way for this. Felix trembled and answered, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for you. It says, Felix trembled. You know why Felix trembled? Was it because of the, of, was, do you think Felix trembled because of righteousness that he preached? Probably not. Do you think Re, Re, Felix was trembling because of the temperance that he preached? My guess is not. I, I think the reason Trent, Felix was trembling was because he preached about judgment. And Felix knew he was in danger. We can't tell the gospel story. We're telling a half story. We're leaving half of it out if we try and preach the gospel without hell. It motivates us to salvation. In Philippians chapter two and in verse number 12, Philippians chapter two and in verse number 12, the Bible says, wherefore my beloved as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's because it motivates us to salvation. It motivates us to persuade others. In Jude 21 and through 23, the book of Jude verses 21 through 23, there the writer says this, keep yourselves in the love of God, knowing the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. There are gonna be times when you're gonna be able to go talk to people and you're gonna be able to have a very positive discussion about the gospel and they're gonna be very receptive because maybe they already understand certain concepts. It'll be a very pleasant study. And if you're lucky and the Lord blesses us, they will be converted. There are gonna be other times when people don't wanna hear about the gospel and it's gonna take this concept to really get it home to them. And we've gotta be prepared to do it. Some people we're gonna save one way, but other we're gonna save with fear, pulling them from the fire. And we have to have that tool in our arsenal when we do this. A couple more verses we'll close tonight. Romans chapter 11 and verse number 22. Romans chapter 11 and verse number 22. The Bible there says, Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fail severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. The great news about this story is that yes, God has a severe side. God also has a good side. And you get to choose. You get to choose. And so tonight you get to make a choice. If you're here and you have not yet named the name of Christ, as I said, you're in danger. You are in danger. And you can choose what to do with that. But it's our duty to tell you that you're in danger and we're trying to do that tonight. Or if you're here, maybe you've been added to God's kingdom and things are not going the way they should be. You could be in danger too. And we need to understand that and order our lives appropriately. And I suppose maybe even more importantly tonight for all of us here who are members of the body of Christ, when Paul says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. How many times have you walked past people that you know are not saved and that you know you could say something to and you don't say anything about it? I, I do that like every hour. I'm, I'm guessing there's probably a lot of you could raise your hands and say that too. Now, if you walked past somebody and you knew that in about four steps, they're gonna take a step that's gonna, you know, they're gonna fall off the face of the earth or there's something terrible gonna happen to them, would you stop them and say, hey, watch out, sir, watch out, ma'am? Would you do that? I bet you would. I bet every one of us would. Why, why don't we do that with Christ? Why do we watch all these souls wander around in and out of our lives and we do nothing about it? I think it's because we know the terror of the Lord, but we don't know the terror of the Lord. Look, we're not gonna be perfect about that. 
I'm not gonna tell you. I've preached the sermon before and I haven't gotten perfect. I've walked, I took a flight today with a, a flight full of people and I guarantee you there were probably some people on there that needed to hear this. I walked around an airport for a while while you know, Jessica left me by myself for a few minutes and you know, I walked around all kinds of places and saw people and I didn't say anything. So we're gonna get this wrong, but, but we need to get it right too. We need to take our opportunities and we need to persuade people knowing the terror of the Lord. If you're here and you have not named the name of Christ, I beg you to do it. I beg you. I beg you to do it tonight because there's nothing more important. You're in danger. Mortal, mortal, not mortal danger because mortal danger is not even to be compared. You're in everlasting soul danger. Not, not that you're gonna have something happen to you in this life. We're talking about eternity. Folks, don't let that, don't let that go past tonight. If you're here and you need the prayers of the church and we can help you, we would love to help you tonight. Don't put that off. It's too important. I hope you'll come as we stand and sing the song of invitation.